You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Dana Reingout, Vice President of Partner Marketing at NBC Universal in New York. Dana, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk to you today. Well, I'm excited to learn more about you and about your experiences. I know you've got a lot of fun stuff to share with us today. Tell us a little bit more about your organization. What is your 30-second elevator pitch? Sure. So I work in TV distribution at NBC Universal. So essentially, I make sure that our family of TV networks is available to as many of you as possible through specifically your TV providers. And when you talk about TV providers, we mean things like Comcast or, or Dish Network or those kinds of things, right? Whatever you're using. Okay, go on. Exactly. And when I talk about our family of networks outside of NBC, there's quite a few. So I mean, MSNBC, CNBC, Bravo, USA, Sci-Fi, just to name a few of those, there's a lot to keep track of. But regardless of, of who your provider is, my job is essentially to make sure that you never miss your favorite shows and very important that you know where to find them, which is increasingly challenging these days. It is. If you're using regular cable television or something, there's only about 872,000 channels that you have to kind of scroll through to find your, you know, whatever network that you want to watch. So, and I never know where they are, I got to say. So voice commands, they help. You know, I keep forgetting that that's a feature on the remote, the universal remotes that are not universal and you still need four of them to turn on my television. That's, can you fix that? That would be really <laughs> I will work helpful. on that. I appreciate that. Let's take that up the chain for me. I appreciate it. And doing all this, what's your favorite part of your job and why? I would say my favorite part of my job is leading a small team of women. That's not by design. They just happen to be women. But I, I lead a team of seven plus a rotating list of pages and interns who are all equally fantastic. But I work for a large company. That's the truth of it. And, you know, I'm really, really inspired by creating a mini culture for my team so that they feel like they're a part of something smaller and close knit. I love their passion, their eagerness, their appreciation for being assigned challenging work. And I really want to foster that and make them feel like they're a part of a little mini culture. I love it. A little mini culture in the macro culture. Yes. Now, what's one of the big issues of the day for you? And how do you have to adjust your approach when you're talking to different key stakeholder groups about it? Oh, my gosh. This is such a loaded question for the media <laughs> industry specifically. I mean, you just touched on it with, with the launch of, of so many streaming partners in addition to those 800 channels that you already have. There's so much choice for consumers on what they watch and where they watch it. And NBC Universal now has our own answer to that too. I mean, we launched Peacock, our streaming service, a few years ago, and it was really just a necessary evolution in, in how we offer content direct to consumers. And when you talk about the streaming services, you mean that this Peacock is NBC Universal's answer to Netflix or Amazon Prime or something like that? Yes, okay. Original content, movies. Yes, exactly. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, with the launch of any new product or strategy, especially with a large company, there's bound to be growing pains. You know, we need to figure out the best way to offer this content direct to consumers while not cannibalizing our existing services, which certainly touches on my role within the company. So, you know, it's important for me and my team to present a unified front to our partners because Peacock has a partner marketing team too. And we want our partners to promote that original content on Peacock, but also the content on our traditional you know, TV networks. So our approach really is to be collaborative and to be proactive about that, to make sure that the Peacock team knows that we've been around for a little while. We understand what our partners need and what they want. And we have marketing resources and processes in place that could really help them get through to those, those clients. So if I'm hearing correctly, the, you know, I think a lot of the people out there are starting to ask questions like, do I really need cable? Do I really need TV or can I, should I just have my Roku and a whole bunch of streaming services and just get what I want on demand? And the argument is that we don't want it to be an either or we want it to be a both and. and. Is that right? So how to convince them that we want everybody to know that it's a both and the consumers as well as the partners, as well as everybody else. It's they're not internally competing with each other. Yes. And then making sure that internally we're aligned on talking about the right content that's offered on all of those individual platforms so that we can prioritize before we pitch. Exactly. Yes, I would imagine that would be an interesting pitch because the consumers want as much as possible and not to have to pay for duplicative services or a bunch of stuff they're not going to watch. And Yes, exactly. Very important to talk about what's exclusive to each platform and exactly how it's an and and not an either or. Right, right. Okay, so that does, I would agree that that's challenging. You know, my that's constantly a debate in my family as well. You know, what services do we need? What do we want? What do we watch? And all that fun stuff. With that, who's the hardest or toughest audience that you ever had to get through to? I mean, I hate to say this, but it's definitely my kids. <laughs> Teenagers are the worst. <laughs> we love them. We love them, but they can be difficult. Yes. Oh my gosh, we do love them. And, and don't get me wrong, leading a team is certainly not parenting, but I do feel like there are certain parts of what I've learned of my communication skills in the workplace that are so easy to just transfer to other areas of my life and vice versa. I mean, I'll give you two examples. I realized a couple of years ago when I was really hunkered down in work and high profile projects and, you know, really just not connecting with my kids, the way I was finding the time to connect with my team, I was really spending a lot of time understanding despite the busy and the chaos, what did each of my team members need from from me? How could I connect with them? And I wasn't so much doing that at home. And I really needed to take the time to think, okay, so it is so obvious that my oldest communicates exceptionally well via text. So how can I get through to her? What do I need to say in written text form that gets her to listen? My youngest needs that FaceTime. She needs hugs. She needs to sit on my bed at night before she goes to bed and tell me about her day. So it's really finding what the best communication tactic is with each of them. And, you know, I just simply wasn't doing it. So you were clear with your employees of what kind of individual attention, how much quantitative, qualitative they needed, but hadn't been asking that of the kids themselves. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then I would say the second example I have is simply forgetting to communicate at all. A few years ago, I was at a leadership conference for Women in Cable. Women in Cable is a fantastic organization that I really have had the pleasure of being involved with through NBC Universal and attending their leadership conferences and events. So a few years ago, I was at one such event and I had the pleasure of being offered an executive coaching session one-on-one. And I was at, again, a breaking point. Everything was chaos. I had high profile projects and I was compensating by showing up at home and running everything. I didn't need to just show up at the PTA events and show up at school. I needed to run everything. I needed to run every event. And it just wasn't working for me. And the coach at one point interrupted me and said, did you ever ask your children or your husband if they wanted you to run these things? And it was a real watershed moment for me. I for sure hadn't. And, you know, I realized that I was so heads down and I was doing what I thought they needed from me. And I wasn't involving them as stakeholders in where I was spending my time. And, you know, I started to get real about involving them and having family meetings and even going so far as to text them agendas ahead of time (laughs) to decide how we would all spend our time. (laughs) I'm very serious about project management. Clearly. Impressive. (laughs) So, you know, and again, transferring this to work is important too. So I definitely have conversations with my boss when I feel like I'm heading too far down a path or spending too large of a percentage of time on one project to just check in. Hey, I'm spending 80% of my week on this specific business objective. Does that make sense? Is that where you need me most? So it definitely leads to some really good, honest conversations. Now you've got me curious when you did finally ask the kids, you know, is this where you, what you want me to do for you? And they said, uh, no, did they give you a flip what they did actually want you to do for them to make them feel special? They did. I would say most of it was you can just get out the way, mom, but (laughs) it did. They did tell me they loved it when I run their school talent show. So, you know, that's something I'll stick with and I'll make time for because that's where it matters, where I'm present. And I'll step back in other areas. So not the PTA meetings, not the bake sales, but yes, the talent show. Yes, exactly. Prioritizing. You know, it, it's funny. That reminds me a lot. If you're familiar with the the book, and I can't think of the author off the top of my head, but we'll find it and put it in the show notes of the the five love languages. Have you heard of that? Yeah. It's, you know, one of these for anybody out there. It's an oldie, but goodie. I, I'm going to say it's at least probably 15 or 20 years old. And now there's a, a newer edition that is that correlates to, I think it's called the five languages of appreciation in the workplace. But the idea is that much like with the DISC assessment, okay, yeah, there's you know different leadership styles, different preferences, et cetera. But this is about how you show appreciation and how you recognize being appreciated. And I think the five different categories are, let me see if I can rattle them off here, but one is words of affirmation. So being thanked orally or, and I love you, or, you know, whatever's appropriate for your home or work environment, getting, you know, acknowledgement or accolades of some sort. Number two is actually physical gifts, tangible, you know, purchased objects of some sort. Number three is quality time spent together. Number four, at least for the five love languages is physical touch, just non-sexual, just the, you know, holding hands or something along those things together on the couch. The fifth is acts of service. So do you do things for other people? Do you help them move? Do you give them advice? Do you take them on an errand someplace? You know, whatever that thing that you're doing for them, you're going out of your way. And 
it sounds like you are wired a little bit like I am perhaps that number five is your natural gravitation. It certainly is one of mine where I will bend over backwards for you. You need help. I'm going to see it through with you from start to finish. I'll do all sorts of stuff behind the scenes for you to just make your life easier. And uh, sometimes we have to remember to put some limits and boundaries on that. But if if you're doing that, you're you're running the bake sale, you're running the PTA meetings, you're running all these shows for the kids and they're not appreciative of it, then it's like maybe that's not the language they wanted. And what I would be curious if you were to think about your kids now, what is what would be each of their primary love languages? I feel like my youngest, it's still that contact. If we're not snuggling at night, she's not having the best day if I'm not giving her that attention. Let's see, for my middle, I would say it's accolades. Okay, the words of affirmation. Yes, I need to tell her she's doing a good job. I need to recognize her. Oh gosh, this is so- Quiz, I put <laughs> I you like- on the spot. I put you on- for my oldest, this is so, I, I think it's gifts. And it might be, it might be, you know, and that's, that's fine. There's no, it's the whole point is that when maybe they're doing those things for you and you may not necessarily recognize or value it as highly as they value giving it to you. It doesn't, you don't recognize it as having the depth of meaning that they intend, which then makes them not feel like you appreciate them. So learning to speak and recognize and listen in each other's languages. And then, of course, you'd have to figure out what the appropriate adaptation of that would be for your team at work. But yes. Oh, no, I love that. I love that. I didn't think about it that way. You know, again, there's those two books, one for personal, one for professional relationships. So check them out. We'll put those those links in the show notes for that. But all right. So this brings us then to a different kind of a gift, a challenge. And Dana, this is our listener 24-hour influence challenge. It's an opportunity for you to speak directly to our audience and challenge them to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours to have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? Okay, well, I think it'll be pretty obvious from what we just talked about, (laughs) the connection with this challenge, but here it is. I would challenge your listeners to take just a few minutes, maybe over your morning coffee, And consider one skill at work that you really excel at. What is your superhero power at the office? And everyone knows it. But does that skill show up in other areas of your life? With your family, with your friends, with other organizations that you're a part of? If it doesn't, why not? And how how might you start to implement that? Interesting. Okay, so identifying what your one of your greatest strengths is at work and seeing whether or not you're also applying it at home with friends or community or someplace else. So what do you think is yours? I mean, it's got to be project management. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Sometimes my husband will say to me, honey, we're not on your team. And that's how I know to dial it down a little bit. (laughs) Right, right. So I can use a little bit more of that, having a little bit more of that managed, organized, planned timelines, KPIs. I'm going to just have to hire you to come in and organize my life for me. Get me a nice whiteboard with stuff on it. That that would be Oh, helpful. I love a good whiteboard. <laughs> okay. We'll meet for coffee, whiteboard session next week. Awesome. <laughs> All right. So then from there, talk to me a little bit about leading teams. What's an important lesson that you learned when you went from being an individual contributor to leading your very first team? Sure. Well, this is a lesson that I actually wish I had learned a long time ago, but It's something that I've been working on for probably the last five years or so. And it maybe it sounds pretty basic, but it's something I need to remind myself of all the time that what engages and motivates every person on your team is going to be different. It's not a one size fits all approach. And it's something that 
honestly, I'm constantly working on. I used to get the results of those 360 feedback surveys. And because my team is small, I felt like I could pick apart. Like, who said this? Who thinks I'm not giving enough of this? But that person thinks I'm giving too much of that. Oh, that's such a natural reflex, right? Trying to, to reverse engineer the answers to figure out whose pen or whose keyboard it came out of. Right. But of course, everyone is going to experience my communication and leadership style differently. And I needed a way to get that out of them. What was it for each of them that was improving their experience or, you know, quite frankly, something that I needed to address and change? So NBC Universal has a great learning and development program. So I've attended a bunch of those labs and really utilized a lot of the strategies that they provide. And one of them was something called Engage Cards. So there's about 40 cards in a deck and each card has a phrase on it that represents what keeps you engaged at work. It could be anything from more frequent feedback or clear direction or exposure to senior leadership. And I met with everyone on my team one-on-one and dealt them the cards and had them pick five cards so that they could tell me what most engages them. And I put them in a chart, of course, And I refer to those things from time to time because I think sometimes they need to be revisited too. And can you give some examples of like what's on an engage card? Oh, it literally will say frequent feedback or clear communication and next steps. So it's what do I need to provide to them in order for them to feel motivated at work and inspired and to do their job well. So they're very simple phrases and they're categorized by like relationships or specific work, but it really helps to get the conversation going because it's not it's not an easy conversation to start one-on-one. And in, in speaking about those feedback and, and accountability kinds of difficult questions of sorts, what's an approach you've used to address an accountability issue with somebody on your team? So many years ago, I had an employee who was actually disappointed that she was passed up for a promotion. And I could tell It started to affect her overall demeanor and morale and then eventually performance. So when I met with her to address this, I have to admit, I I tried to empathize with her and then place blame instead of really taking ownership of the solution. I think I said something like, oh, gosh, I know this is really a bummer, but the company only gives out this many promotions and it just wasn't your turn. And that did not go well. It wasn't received well. And it certainly did not improve her morale or her performance. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, bummer. You didn't get the lottery. Right. Yeah. But nothing we can do about it. You know, it just, it was not received well. So a few years after that, I actually had a similar opportunity for a redo conversation with another employee who was passed over for a promotion. And, you know, my approach there was instead This is disappointing. I get it. But let's work together on an accelerated plan for your growth and development. Let's figure out what high profile projects you can be working on. Let's figure out how to get you that access to senior leadership that you need in order to take that next step. So the finding that balance, I think in the second time around, I heard it a lot more clearly between the empathy in the beginning and acknowledging how somebody may feel and and validating that frustration of sorts, but then putting an action plan into place to make sure that that feeling doesn't happen again, that there's, there's ways around it. Yes. And we were in it together. So how can I help you put together that plan? What do you need? So yes, but also the empathy. Exactly. 
And it's interesting too, even in listening to the two different versions of the empathy, you know, one is, and if I, if I heard you right, forgive me if I'm misparaphrasing, but you know, the second time around was the, this must be really frustrating or I understand this, you must feel very this as opposed to bummer. And, you know, that's where it can seem, you know, you're, you're trying to not make something too heavy, but it can almost feel like it's too colloquial or that you're, you know, the discomfort of the moment, maybe taking over, you know, whatever it happens, who knows. But the second time around listening, I definitely would have felt more respected in the acknowledgement of, of the feelings as opposed to kind of glossed over, so to speak. Did you sense that as well? Or was that, was there a more comfort the second time around than the first? 100%. And there was follow-up the second time around too, which is important. <laughs> so the first conversation I had, there was no opportunity for follow-up. It was just, eh, you know, that's just the way it is. And those are some of the conversations that I think we tend to overlook with regard to preparation. And it's not that it should be scripted, but little things like those on-ramp, those introductory comments can really set the tone because they immediately set an emotional expectation for something and emotional reflexes don't take any time to process. They just happen. So when there's a phrase that almost leads more with the feeling of, okay, the person having this conversation feels uncomfortable with it. So clearly I'm not going to like where we go from here. You know, you've already framed the person's brain in a, in a anticipation of dread. As opposed to, you know, let's, this is going to be a productive conversation where we're both going to walk away from it feeling better about than where we're starting. So it's amazing how small details like that can make such a big difference. Yeah, exactly. Now, when you think about people who, you know, you've got a small team, but a massive organization, if somebody wants to move up into a more senior leadership role, aside from their technical expertise, of course, what's one skill they'd have to demonstrate to you and why? So, Aside from the usual leadership qualities or technical expertise that I would be looking for, I do feel like someone has to demonstrate that they're a team player. Do they believe in the company and what it stands for? And how does that show up? Do they have a positive attitude? Do they participate in company events, meetings, holiday parties? Do they show up to those team building events and build that spaghetti tower? Yeah. I mean, I have definitely wanted to roll my eyes about building the spaghetti tower, but those things, they make a difference. And I think that they're telltale signs of somebody who wants to be there and wants to be a leader in a bigger form. It's really hard for me to talk someone up in terms of accolades or opportunity for promotion to senior leadership if they're just not visible. And so I think there, I heard two different things in there. And you can tell me if I'm hearing correctly. So on the one hand, there's being a team player. But what I actually heard as being almost more important was that it's not just a member of the team, but the showing up for a little bit more. It's not just about what you contribute as far as do you complete the tasks that you're paid to do? Do you contribute more to the the cohesion of the team, to the being part of a team, to the team feeling, the team environment? And that's where, okay, yes, the office parties and the whatever else. And I think I would imagine that it's harder for a lot of people to do that effectively in this new Uber distributed work environment that most of us are in because there's no how to create that feeling of cohesion, that team culture. Am I a part of something versus am I just someone who, you know, submits documentation? I, I mean, I know I'm kind of going all over the place here, but it, I'm no, it's true. Do you mean in like a hybrid work environment? Because I do feel like that's also a challenge in showing up, participating. You have to get creative. You have to utilize that chat function. You have to participate 
in that meeting. So that's 100% part of it, of being visible and participating and being part of that team, whether you're in the office or not. Yes, the being visible part is is hard. I think there are a lot of people who forget now that we are more dispersed in the work from home kind of environment that it's your work doesn't speak for itself. And I hear this over and over from leaders that, you know, I have to know to your point, you have to show up, but I have to know who you are as a person. If I know that you're exceptionally good at your job, great. You can stay there because I'm happy with you there and you seem happy there, but you have to show that you can do more than that. And how do you lead teams? How do you set the, the tone? How do you help promote a culture and unify people? What do you do to contribute to that aspect of being a team if you're going to be the leader of the team? And people can tend to forget when you're lost in your silo of your the four walls of your home office, or you maybe don't leave your house for several days at a time, as I know I certainly have, have experienced way too often in the last couple of years. Yes. No, but that's absolutely part of it. And that's the easiest way to be visible, show up, participate. No, that's absolutely right. So just remembering to, to sometimes it may not be your natural preference, but you got to remember to go the extra mile, let people know who you are and how they connect with you, not just what you're capable of doing. That's, that's a dangerous item to fall by the wayside. And that actually leads really well to my next question, which is that as Peter Drucker famously said, culture eats strategy for breakfast. So what's a communication pattern that you've experienced on a team that's had a really big cultural impact on that team, positive or negative? What comes to mind for me is really when a company understands the need to address what's going on in the world with their employees. It's allowing the space and time to have those conversations about things like diversity and inclusion. I do feel like NBCU does a really good job of leaning into their DEI initiatives. And it's not just sending out those email communications, it's having guest speakers and hosting panels and then encouraging us even to have breakout sessions where we're able to discuss those topics in small groups and really share and be present for one another and make those connections. It's really those frequent check-ins with leadership. How is everyone feeling? What can we be doing better to keep you motivated and inspired despite everything that's going on? I think those things really matter. What would you say to somebody who pushes back and says, oh, it's so touchy-feely? I get that. And I've heard that. I mean, I would say the company was really, really focused on these efforts. And it's part of our mission. It's part of what the company talks about being part of their main business objectives. And people can experience that in different ways. So I would say, yes, while I would encourage you to be that team player and show up to those breakout sessions, it is not mandatory. And that wouldn't be considered part of not viewing you as an overall team player because those conversations are tricky and they're not for everyone. Right, right. Of course, it depends on the conversation, depends on the topic. But I think something that tends to, you can't be part of everything. There's too many conversations, you know, but to pick and choose and occasionally perhaps attend a conversation that's not something that you might feel directly affects you or is the most relevant to you, but just to learn more about what matters to other people. Because if you'll be eventually leading other people to get an idea in advance of things that do have a strong impact on them, their mindset, their feelings of, of connection, appreciation, respect, where they need support, et cetera, because otherwise you would not have been able to guess it on your own. Right. Yeah, exactly. Dana, how can people learn more about you and NBC Universal? 
Well, I think the best way is to find me on LinkedIn. And you can also find and follow NBC Universal there as well. In addition to the WICT network, which I mentioned, Women in Cable, a fantastic organization, you can find them on LinkedIn as well. Yes, which is a great organization. I've spoken at their events and the, the women I meet there are always amazing. So I will heartily encourage everyone to follow up on that as well. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And to everybody else out there, thank you for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And of course, don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and whatever your favorite platform happens to be so that we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my free guide to equipment recommendations for virtual influence, including my picks for microphones, lights, and more, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.